0: So good to see you. Hi, I'm James. It's so good to see the whites of some eyes and some real faces. So good to be introduced. And um, we're also recording this talk. You've seen the cameras because we've got um I cannot those that haven't been able to gather with us today joining us online later today at four o'clock. So as Ben introduced at the start, we're in a sermon series looking at the spiritual disciplines. And we know lots of people will be on that group chat later on. And there's a lot of wisdom in that group chat. So as we're talking about the Bible study. People who are online with us later today, how are you going with your Bible reading? What are you reading at the moment that is helpful to you? We would love to know. Write that in the group chat online on the YouTube stream. We'd love to know, and a big hello to you guys too. But for those of us in the room, we're well into March now. How's it going with the daily Bible reading? Um, Statistically, this is the, the, the crunch point. You might have already got to the end of January, you've been going full throttle, and then we're at the end of March. How are you doing with your Bible reading? Um, is it going well? Because um, the Bible is strange in parts. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, modern people tend to struggle with it, especially younger people. We maybe are a little bit suspicious of it. Ben's used a phrase already that we as a church want to submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible, to sit under it and allow it to speak to our lives. How does that phrase sit with you? What does that make you feel like? Um, It's just an interesting thing. We were talking as a team earlier uh, in the week on Thursday about the Bible, and there's an organization called the Bible Society, and they produce some statistics that, well, typically, even people who describe themselves as committed Christians would only pick up their Bible a couple of times a month. And then for some, the Bible is more of an obstacle to faith than an aid. And so we know the Bible is hard, but I guess the main thrust of the message today, what we want to unpack together is that daily Bible reading is life-transforming. It really is. It's one of the main ways God meets with us. As we read the Bible and as we encounter God in the pages of Scripture, daily He can transform our lives and we've been talking a lot about Bible Week in our Alpha group. I'm in an Alpha group with Olivia and Charlotte, and it's been so fun to get to know those guys, and um, as we've been, a lot of my family are in that group as well, and it's just been a brilliant space each week to share life together, talk about the things of faith, and ask really good questions. And um, When we got to the Bible week on Alpha, there was a whole range of emotions. The spectrum was like, we had the extremes. Some people were like, well, I don't really know if I need it. I've already got God in my life now. And then you've got other people in the group who are like, I've worked out how many days it would take me to read 20 pages a day. I would be able to get through the Old Testament by July, rest of the Bible by the end of the year, and then I've completed it done. So you've got those like, extremes of, I don't really know if I want to, or I've got a workable plan to master the Bible this year, and then I've really nailed this Christianity thing. But that is not a good heart posture, really, when it comes to, to the Bible as a follower of Jesus. Because really what we're saying is, I want to read the Bible to control it. Almost like a fortune-telling situation. If I just get into this stuff, if I learn it, if I get the information I need, then I'll be able to control my life. Or otherwise, we have been suspicious of the Bible, and we sit against it and go, I don't really know if I wanna pick that up because, well, I don't know if it's true. And then we enter a dilemma as a follower of Jesus because we're beginning to sit ourselves as an authority over the Bible. And so I want to just take a step back from it because I don't know how you feel when it comes to approaching the Bible. Love it or loathe it. Why do we read the Bible every day? What then is a good heart posture to have when it comes to reading the Bible as a follower of Jesus? Well, we start with the person of Jesus. He loved the Bible, so we love the Bible Jesus was a rabbi. It's a Hebrew word that meant teacher. And what did he teach? He taught the scriptures of his day. We read, when we read his story and we unpack his life, we know that he spent time with the scriptures. He clearly knew it. He lived by it. He would regularly quote it. He would interpret it. And he would engage with other people and agree and disagree with their interpretation of the Bible. And the reason that many of us own Bibles, or you've got it downloaded on your phone, and we begin almost every day reading our Bibles is not because we have a love for ancient literature, although some of us in the room might. It's because Jesus thought that the Bible was important, so we think it's important. And he had a heart posture that was a little bit different than those around him. Let me illustrate that. So I did a degree... 2008 in Sheffield University, uh, at Sheffield University, and I heard there was some cheers of people who were at Sheffield, so Ben was there, Brogan was there, and there was a a hand that went up over there as well, Sheffield, there you go, God's own country, but he's called us to the promised land of Newcastle, and we're having such a good time, Um, but we went to to Sheffield to study, and I did biblical studies as a degree, and I'd just become a Christian at the time, so it it was all very new to me. I hadn't really read the Bible, but I was just excited by it. So I decided to do it as a degree. And um, what I found there as I was studying it, there was all kinds of people doing that degree. Some people had dedicated their lives to understanding the Bible, professors, academics, and they didn't have a faith. They just thought this Bible is influential. It is important. It has shaped Western society. And so to understand it is is a good thing. So they were really into the technical process of the Bible, what do these words mean? Or they were reading it for influence in the, in the world. If I have an opinion on this book, then that is influential. Where there is other people who read the Bible, and these are particularly followers of Jesus, it's a slightly different posture. We read this Bible for wisdom, yes, certainly not less than that. We want to understand these words, but we read it primarily for a relationship with God, for connection. A word we've been discussing as we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines, formation. In other words, that we're being made into something by God when we read this book into the person of Jesus Christ. And so we read these words not to master it, not to control it, but to linger in them for love, for an encounter. John Mark Comer put this beautifully when I was listening to a talk that he did on the Bible. And he said this, we read the Bible to be with him, that is Jesus, to become like him and to do what he would do if he were us. So shall we read the Bible? We're looking today at Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. And if you have got a Bible, get it open in front of you. If not, don't worry, I'm gonna walk us through it. And that's kind of what I'm gonna do today. There's three sort of strands I'm gonna pull out in this Bible story. And we're gonna take it basically a verse at a time, ask some questions as we go, and look to apply it as we go, and then we'll pray together at the end. So, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Let me read it out in full for us to hear today. On the road to Emmaus. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up, and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you were walking along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. And then they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were our hearts not burning within us when he talked to us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When we read the Bible, sometimes we say, this is the word of the Lord, and we can reply, thanks be to God. So, we've got this story. There's a couple of layers to it. And what we're gonna do now is, in a sense, I've been watching David Attenborough's Life in Color. Has anyone else been watching that on iPlayer? I love a good Attenborough documentary, and I love the way they break it up sometimes. There's these zoom in moments, zoom out, and there's always this epiphany at the end, and that's kind of gonna follow that model. We're gonna zoom in, zoom out, and then there's this epiphany at the end that I'm gonna draw our attention to. And then we'll apply it as we go. And this zoom-in moment, when we get into the story at first glance, it kind of reads a little bit like a comedy. There's these bumbling disciples going along the road. You can imagine one of them being played by Rowan Atkinson, potentially, and they're just stumbling along and they're with Jesus. And it's quite hilarious, really. Let me just read verses 13 to 16 again and do look for the humor in the story. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. It was almost like they'd spent this couple of hours it had taken going from Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus... They were talking about Jesus without realising they were talking to Jesus. If this was a pantomime, we'd all be sat in the sidelines going, he's beside you, he's beside you, don't you see him? And Luke had to be laughing when he wrote verse 18. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And then we begin to see all the pieces of the jigsaw that the disciples had available to them about Jesus's resurrection, him coming back to life. Verse 19, we read that he was a prophet of great power. Verse 21, we read that it is the third day since all this took place and the disciples are beginning to remember time and time again, Jesus was saying when he was with us, he kept saying about the third day, something was going to happen as if that was important. Verse 22 and 23, some of our women amazed us. They got to the tomb and they'd seen that the tomb was empty. And then there's these angels who are also testifying to the empty tomb as if something divine and beautiful and of God had happened there on that day. And then verse 24, our final piece of the evidence for those who are Hercule Poirot today, we have got our companions who have also said the tomb was empty. They'd found it just as the women had said. And so we've got this humour here, kind of like Scooby-Doo or something like that. All the clues are laid out for us and we can see it, but they just can't. And so Cleopas, one of these disciples, now goes down in history as the disciple who looked Jesus square in the eyes and said, nobody's seen him. We don't know where he's gone. And Jesus' reply is brilliant. He said to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And it's not that Jesus is being cruel here. It's, it's Luke seemed to know this pair. He must have interviewed them when it, he came to writing his book. And, um, and they named Cleopas, not the other disciple, maybe because Cleopas was known to the early church, that Christian community that had formed in the days after Jesus walked the earth. And um, what we've learned, really, of not just Cleopas, but a lot of the disciples, is the early church, these Christians, weren't really precious about the reputation of their leaders. It's as if they knew to be a follower of Jesus and to be part of a church was not about how impressive your CV looked. Cleopas looked Jesus in the eyes and said, don't know where you are. Peter denied him three times and he became one of the influential leaders of the early church. Thomas doubted, everybody deserted at the cross. And yet, it's as if they know to be a follower of Jesus is not about your qualifications. It's about God's grace at work in us and through us, what we call grace of God. By faith, through grace, it's a work of God on our lives. And we'll see that thread time and time again through our Bible reading today. It's it's as if they knew, and Jesus' reply, how slow you are to believe, yes, but they get there by the grace of God. They get there. They plod on. They walk the path. Jesus is with them. He works in their lives, through their lives, and by grace through faith, they get there. So that's our first takeaway, that all of this, when it comes to Bible reading, when it comes to all of our walk with Jesus, it's by faith through grace that we get there. This is God's work and there is room in grace for those of us who sometimes it's just a little bit slow. We're a little bit slow off the mark sometimes. It looks like other people get there quicker than we do, but Jesus is with us, he's working with us, and we get there. So there's the comedy element of this. What I wanna do now is just zoom out a little bit and begin to connect some of the things going on in the bigger picture and actually, if the first half was about comedy. The second half's really marked by tragedy. It's a significant change of tone. And I wanna draw our eyes to verse 21, because this basically summarizes the whole thing. The disciples say, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was gonna be the one who was gonna redeem Israel. And there is a huge mismatch here between their expectations of what was going to happen and the reality of what played out in front of them. And in that disconnect between expectation and reality, you can measure their disappointment. We can see it in the pages. All of the signs are there. Verse 17, they stood still, their faces downcast. Verse 19 to 24, we've already walked through those things. They're so confused as they're piecing together all the pieces of the jigsaw. Our heart goes out to them. We had hoped. Three words that summarise the wreckage of faith. A question for us this morning. Can we relate to that at all? Have we been there in this mismatch of expectation and reality? Not in God's plans, because we know that God's plans, um, well, they end well. We've got revelation. We know that Jesus rose again from the dead. But how do we do it with our own plans do you know, when we pray sometimes and go, God, if only you opened that door, but now I'm here. If only you'd mended that relationship. We had hoped for a different 2020 and yet faced with the reality, some of us are disillusioned and disappointed. We had hoped. Maybe we'd hope to read the Bible every day this year. Back to that question at the start, how are we doing? I don't say that to judge anybody, but just to be honest. And so what do we do when we've got this mix-max of expectation and reality? Let's look again at Jesus' reply in verse 27. This is the little bit after, he continues. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. So they spend those hours walking from Emmaus Uh, from uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus, going through the scriptures with Jesus from Genesis to Malachi, it would have been an amazing conversation. It is a shame there is no recording. If Luke Porter was there, he would have been sure to make sure we would have got the audio and the visual for that for all of us to see. It is just a shame that Luke is the age that he is. But we're so thankful that you're here doing this for us today, Luke. Um, But we now have to work it out. So what was it said on the road? How did that conversation go? Well, maybe that Jesus the Messiah was a figure of great power and justice, definitely. A figure who would rescue God's people and return them from exile, for sure. But perhaps Jesus lingered in the Exodus story, talked about the Passover lamb, that Jesus was always gonna die for the sins of the world, Maybe the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And Cleopas and his friends spend time in the scriptures with Jesus and it changes everything for them. And the main thing that Jesus is trying to communicate to them is verse 26. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into In other words, their expectation was not met with their reality. They expected Jesus to ride in victorious, to conquer, to liberate, and to bring them home. They had no room in their theology or worldview at all that death would play a part in that story. They've not seen those hints that are woven all the way through the Scripture, not just the New Testament, but right the way from Genesis to Malachi. We hear hints that the redemption plan of God right from creation, Jesus was planned for us to die on the cross. God knew that we would mess it up, that there would be sin, there would would be times where we would go our own way and go astray. And even then, he'd made a plan for Jesus on the cross that involved him dying and rising again for you and for me. Why can't they see Jesus in front of them? Well, there's lots of opinions about this. I've read a lot of different commentaries, but one of my favorite Um, Is it their sin? Is it their trauma? Are they just grieving? Are they just confused? But my, my favorite kind of explanation of this, I don't know if it's fully true, it's probably all of the above, but what I find most helpful to read is, it was because, this is from Tim Mackey, great theologian, and Tim Keller, they have a similar thought on this one, it's because of their theology ultimately, they were looking for the wrong Jesus, They were looking for a Jesus who died. And so all their hopes had died with him. They weren't looking for a Jesus who was alive. They weren't looking for someone who was gonna walk that road with them. And they'd made assumption that death could not be part of the plan. We had hoped that he would be the one who was gonna redeem Israel. We'd hoped it looked like this. We weren't prepared for it to look like that certainly not crucified on the cross. So here's our second takeaway for this morning. Have we let the Bible speak to our own disappointment and disillusionment that we face when our expectations don't match reality? Because the Bible can transform all of that. God can turn the ashes into this beautiful new life. An illustration with my degree, remember I did biblical studies and you've got the people who read it for information, the professionals and the academics, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there is so much more to the Bible than just a piece of literature, and that's really what they're doing. They're taking it seriously as literature, but not as scripture. Information reading, I've got to master this and mine out what I need, but as a follower of Jesus, we read for wisdom, yes, but for connection, for relationship, for an encounter with God. We read not to master the scripture but to be mastered by God, formed by God through the text to come under its authority and submit ourselves to it with our highs and with our lows and allow the scripture to shape our disillusionment. Why is this hard? Well, it sometimes is, isn't it? And I count myself in this too. It is hard sometimes to come to the Bible every day because we resist the work of the Spirit in this area. We feel like this is my life, you're not the boss of me, God, I want to be in control. I don't like being told what to do, and we're aware that if we come to the Bible, it might shape us. And that's the heart problem that we need to be saved from, to a heart posture that Jesus had of grace through faith, a work of God in my life, if I encounter the risen God in these pages, then it may change me. Ben shared a helpful quote with me earlier in the week just to uh, elaborate on that point that we encounter God in the pages of the Bible. It's from Bishop Todd Atkinson. Let me read this out for us now. To realize that God who is invisible was incarnate in the person of Jesus is life-changing, Every time we go to the Bible and see the person of Jesus, it's like looking into the face of God. Moses spoke face to face with God. All we need to do is open our Bibles and there is God in Jesus. And every single day, we can go and gaze on him. We've been talking about the Bible a lot in our Alpha Small group at the moment. We've got a WhatsApp group chat, and I'm struggling to keep up with it as people have began to experiment with a daily Bible reading. And Charlotte and Olivia have been great at posting like thoughts for the day or like Bible verses to encourage, but it's not just driven by these guys. It's actually now starting to come from the guests who've joined us for Alpha. And one guest said this, I honestly think the Bible has changed my life Life. with a, a, a cry face emoji. I've been reading a plan every time I felt I needed to yesterday, and it was like I had my own channel to God. Prayer emoji, heart emoji. How good is it to receive a message like that? Intuitively, they've got that when we open the Bible and we read it, we connect with God in a supernatural way. The same guest said sometimes they wake up feeling a sense of self-pity, but when they pray, the whole day is changed. And Mim, um, she spoke brilliantly about prayer two weeks ago. Again, all of these spiritual disciplines are there for us to encounter God. I'm going to move now just to the final scene as we go back into the story. And then I'm going to come to land with a prayer. Verse 31. The story is building an excitement. Their eyes were opened And they recognized him. How did they recognize him? Well, we're not really told. Maybe it was the familiar gesture of him breaking bread. Maybe it was that as he lifted his arms, his sleeves slipped, and they saw the scars from the nails from when he was crucified. Maybe they just recovered a sense of perspective as they walked it out and as they talked it out with a friend. Verse 32 says, They asked each other, Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us? On the road, and he opened the scriptures to us. Their hearts burning within them, recovering a sense of excitement, of passion, that transformative work of God to us, which is what the Spiritual Discipline series is all about. Let me quote Brogan for a moment, who's at the back there. Give us a wave, Brogan, who kicked off our Spiritual Discipline series and kind of the architect behind it really, and he had this brilliant quote as we started this journey together as a church. He said, the spiritual disciplines are practices that help us contemplate the glory of God. And Bible reading is one of those. That we place ourselves before God in order that he might transform us. The world says, take hold of your life and transform yourself. The Bible says, lay down your life and let God transform you. And so this fire in their hearts is not something that they could generate within themselves. It is a gift from God by grace, as They've spent time in the scriptures with their friends. God is doing something in them. And then through them, they couldn't keep it to themselves. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Can you relate to that? When you encountered Jesus for the first time, maybe. One of our guests on Alpha said they had such a life-transforming time on Alpha that she wrote to her mum this most beautiful letter, trying to put into words all that has happened in her life through starting a relationship with Jesus or growing in that relationship with Jesus. And she wants to give her mum a Bible because it's one of the most precious gifts that we have on this planet. My story when I was 17 I became a Christian at a festival called Soul Survivor. Two friends took me there and when I was prayed for to become a Christian, this couple gave me a great piece of advice. They said go and tell someone. So I told my mum. Who else do you call? I don't, I've done this thing. Mum, I've become a Christian. And it started the most brilliant conversation because from day 1 I wasn't just a good news receiver, but I became a good news sharer. And me and my mum had the most amazing conversation about life, faith, and Jesus. Tell someone. So Cleopas in this story grabs his coat, hits for the road. You feel for his friend, don't you? They've just done the seven mile trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus and then they're back on the road doing a U-turn. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true. Cleopas doesn't even get to tell them the revelation he had at Emmaus because Jesus has already appeared to the 11 himself. And they go, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And so that's where we're left in this story. It's true. It's true. And that counters all of the despair of the we had hoped. We had hoped that Jesus was the Lord, the Messiah, the liberator. It is true. He did it through the cross. We had hoped for sins forgiven. It is true. He did it through the cross. We had hoped for a right relationship with God. It is true. Why read the Bible every day? Well, we could do it because someone tells you to do it. That's maybe a good place to start, but it won't sustain you. Choose to do it because it's true. Choose to do it because it's the primary way God speaks to us each and every day. Pray and ask God, by his grace, to give us a love for the Bible, expecting that when we read this book, we will encounter God, and it will transform our lives. We're going to pray together now. Could I invite Ben and Lee up, and we'll pray together into what has been shared today. And one of the first ways I'd love us to begin to pray is into those three phrases that we've looked at through the Bible For those of us who maybe feel slow to believe, quick off the mark, maybe our Bible reading is just plodding on, let's just pray together for God to grow a love for the Bible in our hearts. Um, For those of us who are the we had hopes, maybe we've got our own disappointments or disillusions in our hearts and God can transform them by the power of his spirit. And then for those of us who think, actually, it is true Jesus really is alive. Maybe that's news to you today for the first time. Well, good news. If you believe that Jesus was the son of God and died for you on the cross and that he died for you to forgive you your sins, then he would love to start a relationship with you today. If no one has ever asked you before, do you want to become a Christian? Well, then you can today. Grace through faith.